Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording from the vault in the Denver complex of the Colorado Department of Corrections. I'm Denise Presson, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. I'm Andrew Draper, resident at Sterling Correctional Facility. I'm Ashley Hamilton, the founder and director of the DU Prison Arts Initiative. Here at Within, as we work to shift the conversation on who is in prison, we've asked our guests and our hosts to freely share their perspective. The opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the person who gave them. This episode was born out of the idea of learned violence and how violence is often cyclical. We wanted to understand why people act violently and what are the circumstances around it. What's the motivation and what makes them snap out of it and change the way they live their lives? So Denise and Draper, are there certain people in prison whose reputations precede them almost like infamous people? Certainly, yes, there are. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're mm-hmm. talked about for a long time within the system uh, between offenders and uh, officers. Prison folklore. And so that's what led us to talking to our guests today, Rory and Otis, whose reputations had definitely preceded them. They've had uh, quite the journey over the last few decades. And we wanted to understand their stories better. And so we also wanted to understand their relationship a little bit better. Right. So we have Rory Atkins, who was responsible for one of the first blood crip murders in the state of Colorado. And he's 50 years old and he served 31 years of a 40 to life sentence. And when he entered the prison system in 1988, he was one of a few bloods in the system. Then we have Otis Bell. He's 60 years old, and he's served 33 years of a life sentence. He's originally from Wichita Falls, Texas, and he currently resides in Lyman Correctional Facility. He fancies himself a comedian. He loves to tell jokes. But don't sleep on Rory, who loves animals. That is his thing. Yes, that's his fun fact. In 1990, Rory and Otis attempted to escape from Centennial Correctional Facility, resulting in them both being placed in solitary confinement for a culmination of almost 40 years. After spending time in solitary, both men decided to work to make a change in their lives, and they both went on a complete range of programs and courses. Rory completed a course on psychology of incarceration, became a peak team member, while Otis has completed courses in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Bridges to Life, Cognitive Thinking, and Victim Awareness. And now they're both seen as almost leaders in the facility for change. They mentor young men who come into the system, and they are all about the shift. This week's episode is part one of a two-part story tracing Rory and Otis's journey into and out of violence. This week... We hear about what landed them both in prison and how they became friends, setting the stage for their 1990 attempted escape from a Colorado Max prison. Let's holla at them. So welcome, Rory. What's well, a pleasure to have you here today. I appreciate uh, being here. Thank you. Yeah, Definitely. So you're kind of like me, like a podcast was kind of like a foreign thing to you before. It's still, uh, I'm, I'm learning right now. Yeah. You know, it's something new. <laughs> it's something new. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, who you are and where your, maybe your journey, are, where, where, where were you born, where are you from? Uh, I'm going to tell you something. I've been in prison so long. <laughs> when people ask me where I'm from, I just tell them Canyon City. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? That's that's where I grew up. I grew up in Canyon City. 
You came into prison when you were when, when I was nineteen. Nineteen, and now uh, you're. I'm fifty. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, it's been a journey. You know, I, I don't like I'm saying I don't have no problem uh, talking about anything. We can we can get into whatever, but let me just say this first thing first. I'm I my childhood's tremendous is great. I mean whatever. Uh, uh, I'm not a victim in no circumstance. Whatever it is, you know, uh, I don't want nobody to never think I'm trying to absolve any of my actions based upon my past. I've done everything. I know right from wrong. I've known right from wrong. You know, from you know, yay big. So whatever I've done, I've done. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, uh, I woke up uh, in the morning thinking, how could I be terrible? You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, sincerely, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not nobody else's fault but mine. You know what I mean? So that's what we want to get into today. I All mean, right. I think that, um, we are, our intention with this podcast is to shift the conversation about who's inside. And I okay. think that means unpacking the complexity of who's inside. All right. Um, and we want to hear, I think about your journey, um, into violence um, okay. and, and now out of it. Um, and then what comes next? So um, Draper and Denise, where do you want to begin? And let me start, start this off by saying this. The only, the only prayer that I pray right now, sincerely, the only prayer that I pray right now, once upon a time, all I pray about, God, just let me out, just let me out, God, just please, just let me out. The only prayer that I sincerely pray, pray is that uh, uh, the Carolina family can find some kind of peace behind my bullshit. You, uh, sincerely, you dig what I'm saying? So, uh, uh, that's 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 my deepest wish. I mean, whatever the future holds for me, whatever I got to go through, I'm, cool, I'm gonna go through. But my deepest wish is that they find peace. I, I can't, and it's not a thing of of uh. It, it's not a thing of trying to come off of any any type of way, but I just want to be truthful in who I am right now because I, I've been a mess. I, I've been a complete and total mess and an absolute monster in my life. I have to, I have to be 100% more than respectful but cognizant of the shit that I've done and how it's affected other people. Yeah. I don't never want to come off like uh uh or or, or I, I don't want to add any more harm or hurt to this family because this family did absolutely nothing. They did absolutely nothing to deserve what I did to them. They they unwittingly ended up being a a, a part of my story. You mm -hmm. dig what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I put them in my bullshit. July 13th, 1988, me and uh, a couple partners on some bullshit. Uh, uh, ran, ran across somebody, uh, uh, Delante, Carolina, and I shot him. And uh, he died. I, I trip on something. You know, uh, for 31 years, my mother, God bless her, the, the most wonderful person on the face of this earth, you know, uh, has been able to see what I look like 31 years later. You know what I mean? Uh, I came in here, 
you know, with no facial hair or nothing like that. You know, a head full of hair to an old man that's bald-headed and got gray facial hair, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, but Delonte Carolina, and, and forgive me, I, I, I had to say his name just for, in my own little, little trip, I have to always remind myself of this before I never get back to that thinking or that bullshit that put me in that position to hurt somebody so bad, you know, his family, and to kill him. You dig what I'm saying? So, I, you know, I can't say a victim or I had to say, this, I had to say his name, you know uh -huh. what I mean, to humanize that whole little trip to myself. I wasn't expecting you to go there that quick. I'm glad you did. If I'm a victim of anything, I'm a victim of myself. You mm -hmm. dig what I'm saying? Uh, uh, when when you think the wrong thoughts, you do the wrong things. Mm. You know, uh, I wasn't starving. Uh, I wasn't uh, 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 subtracted from hugs. You know what I mean? Uh, somebody telling me, I, <laughs> this is crazy, but I can't never remember a time in my life when I didn't feel loved. I, I sincerely, all my life, was told, you the greatest, you the best. Mm. You dig what I'm saying? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, uh, I think maybe it was something wrong with me or something, but that fed the ego. You dig what I'm saying? Uh, uh, which perpetuated me into doing all the shit I done in prison. Because, or, or, you know, even on the streets, I, I, I've always been the leader. I mean, just, just how it goes. You, you know, we can go out and we can be wherever. Homie, get behind me. I got you. I'm going to make it happen. Whatever has to go down, it, it, you know, from, uh, uh, like, like they always say, from hopscotch to homicide, I mean, I, I'm going to take care of it. You know, I'm not saying that uh, being loved and being told I was the best made me bad not at all not at all because any any anybody else would have flipped and you know became the greatest you know barack obama or somebody you dig what i'm saying me <laughs> i wanted to be the bad guy so no matter what you were going to do you're going to be the best at it absolutely right just just for some reason it was a switch in my mind that made me be the best at the wrong shit. You know what I mean? I could have been anything in the whole wide world. I could have been anything in the whole wide world. I had the fuel, you know, uh, I had the, but I'm gonna tell you something. I think, like I said, I always been the leader. And I think the kids that gravitated towards me was bad kids. And so I was the leader of the bad kids. You dig what I'm saying? Once upon a time, I had an opportunity. I mean, encouragement, love, support, you name it. I've had that opportunity to do something other than what I did. So, like death begets death, right? Violence right. begets more violence. So, with that being said, how did you become violent? Oh, man. I, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, I have no idea. 
I, you know, what I mean, uh, as a child, I didn't mind fighting. You know, what I mean, I, I didn't mind fighting. And somewhere along the line, I, I learned that I could actually fight. You know, what I mean, I, I would watch other people fight, and I said, well, damn, I can kick both of their ass. You know, what I mean, <laughs> and from that, I, you know, what I mean. I didn't mind getting in there. <laughs> Once a couple punches gets warm, you know, <laughs> shit, <laughs> I'm all right. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, uh, uh, then, you know, uh, as a kid, I boxed. You know what I mean? So I had a little bit of knowledge about, you know, how, how to, to punch, how to swing how these to hands. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? I was good at it. And you know, even even in school, even you know, kids knew. Here, kick your ass. You know what I mean? You get to prison, right? And uh, uh, when I came to prison, um, I didn't have uh, tons of. Uh, homies in jail. I had a bunch of guys that had, you know, the line is already drawn. They didn't like me and I'm not liking you. Mm-hmm. But it's more of you than it is of me. So, listen, if this the lines, then I'm going to be the goddamn line. I swear to God. You dig what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I will never be a lamb. You dig what I'm saying? That's my that's my thinking. If if you want to get it on, I want to get it on even worse than you do. Hmm. And I don't give a damn how many of it is. You know, uh, my my thinking coming to prison was if they're gonna call somebody mama, it's not gonna be mine. Hmm. And I don't care what I have to do to you. I have no qualms or no gripes uh, uh, about it. I, you know, I'm going to not only survive, not only survive, but but I'm going to excel. You know what I mean? Uh, and to put it into context, can you tell people, because I don't think they'll understand exactly what you mean by that, because can you tell people how outnumbered you were as Crips to Bloods. <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay, let me... This is 1988, right? This is 1988. Okay. I went to the county jail. It was myself. It was uh, Marcelli, the homie from L.A., uh, 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 Jesus, uh, uh Billy McAdams, B-Mac, and Trey Lasso. That was it. Then it was O.G. Phil, Psycho Mike, uh, uh, Bama, uh, uh Kenneth, Kenneth, man, it it was at least, at least to our four, it was at least 17, 18, because you got to remember at this time when the young guys came in the jail, we were so wild that a lot of the older guys wanted to associate with us. You dig what I'm saying? It's just how it goes in jail. When the, when the young guy come in jail and he's kind of, you know, rowdy and he's really, you know, with the bullshit, and the older guy, they see, well, man, Best thing they can do is try to claim you like, oh, we raised this dude. He's from over here on our side of <laughs> He's town. He's one of my, yeah. So, but but this was the dynamic coming in jail with the gang shit. 
in the late 80s, the older dudes, they end up gravitating towards us and becoming what we were. As opposed to us trying to become what they were, they became what we were. Mm. You dig what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So being that a lot of those guys from the east side had, you know, deeper ties with, 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 with them older dudes, them older dudes naturally went with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whereas once upon a time it'd be, you know, they would try to big brother you or big homie you. Mm-hmm. Now they they just want to be homies with you. You know what I mean? And it's only four of us. You dig what I'm saying? So, and then every time they show my case on the news, somebody want to fight. You know what I mean? And like I told you, man, uh, I ain't no chump, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? If we gonna do some fighting, we gonna do some fighting. You know what I mean? You know, uh, I won some, I lost some. You know what I mean? But, but it's just how it goes. You know what I mean? I never, I never backed out of none. I never turned none down. You know what I mean? But that's just what it was. But let me explain. This was the difference between me and those other guys. All those guys I just named, none of them were facing life. You dig what I'm saying? So I was playing from from a a different point of view. I'm playing I'm playing uh, playing from the point of view where, man, listen, my life is already fucked up. I don't give a damn. You dig what I'm saying? My celly, he was facing uh, uh, 14 years. You're 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 looking at 14 years, and I'm looking at life. So when these dudes is talking crazy, you talking about let's go fight. And I'm making a knife. You dig what I'm saying? Or I'm, I'm putting soap in the sock. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, and these guys is looking at it like, you know, we're going to fight. Yeah, we're going to fight. <laughs> we, little do you know, we're we going to do some fighting. It's just going to hurt you a whole lot worse than it's going to hurt me. You know what I mean? Going to the penitentiary, uh, uh, I got to prison on a Friday. I got in trouble. The first time on Saturday, <laughs> straight up, straight up. So you came in kicking. <clears throat> Absolutely. You came in swinging. Absolutely. You know, I was, I was young. I was skinny. You know, uh, but, but to top it off, I was hopeless. You know, how do you give somebody 19 life and tell them, hey, man, go take a GED. Man, fuck that GED. <laughs> fuck that GED. I, you know, because you're young, you don't know how to process what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Only thing I know how to process is I'm pissed, I'm mad, and if you give me an opportunity to uh, uh, to display this anger, yeah, I'm going to get it off on you, every chance at every turn. Be at 19 or 20 years old, I'm going to maximum security. So uh, I get there. The day I get there, somebody had just got stabbed. And that was the that was the norm. You dig what I'm saying? So now I'm looking at like, damn, I'm skinnier than all these dudes. You know, these dudes is tougher than me. You know, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I'm 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 not gonna be no no punk. I'm not gonna uh, 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 look for the exit button. You know what I mean? I'm in here. I'm in here, and y'all gonna know my name. You know what I mean? Were you, were you ever scared? Absolutely. Can if I told you I wasn't, I'd be lying. Can you talk about where fear was in this for you? 
Because the way I'm hearing it is this lion. Yeah. You know, but But, I'm curious uh, about the fear because I would just imagine. Okay, cool. Let me tell you. The fear made the lion. Do you know what I mean? The fear made the lion. I mean, uh, I can't can't sit here and say that I was never uh, afraid for my safety. No, not I was terrified for my safety. But just like uh, like they say in sports, you know, sometimes your best defense is a strong offense. I really wish Otis was here, man, because Otis is crazy, man. <laughs> That's my guy, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe him now from, from him then. I mean, night and day. Welcome, Otis. Welcome. Hi, Otis. Glad to be here. Your reputation does precede you. So uh, I'm kind of wondering, though, what led to the, what led to you coming to prison? Like, was there violence before? Well, no. I come from basically a good family. I really did. You know, my mother and father, they were good, hardworking people. But my father left and went to the service, you know, and uh, it's hard for a mother to raise a man. No matter what anyone said, it's hard for a woman to raise a man. So uh, when he got back, I had already been in a mindset I can do my own thing. So when he came back from Vietnam, we moved to Sacramento, California, Oakland. We jumped around in Los Angeles for a while. and then, But Oakland was the pivotal point of my life, I think. Uh, I was raised around horses and cows and chickens and pigs, you know. And you take a country boy from that and put him to the city where... Uh, Pimps and hustlers, you know, dope dealers and everything, and that glamorous life, the Cadillacs, the it has an influence. It really does. You think it doesn't, but it really does. So I started out, you know, washing their cars, uh, doing this and doing that, and before you know it, you want to do your own thing. And pimps, hustlers, gangsters, they're violent dudes. And this is and, in California? Yeah, this, okay. is, this okay. is in California. And you learn that trade, and you kind of... Ingrained it in your body, but that's what you want to do. Although you don't want to do it, but that's the environment that you're in at the present time. So I took that and I ran with it, and it just escalated, you know, from that to robberies to burglaries. Anything that could get fast money or the fast buck, I was with it. And is that what led you to prison? Yes, it did. For my life sentence. I got a life sentence behind it. And you were given that sentence in what year? Uh, they uh, sentenced me to 216 years in 1986. When I first got the sentence, quite naturally it affects a young man. You're 22 years old, and they're telling you that you're going to spend the rest of your life in a penitentiary. Uh, to me, there was no bigger crime than them sentencing me to prison than me trying to get out of prison. That's just how I took it. You know, I felt, hey, okay, this is the, this is the game now. So this is the game we're going to play. Because don't get me wrong, I'm not... Ignorant. I'm not stupid. I'm not out of my mind. I knew exactly what I was doing was wrong, but at a particular time, I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? I didn't care what I was doing. But um, I don't think the crime fit the time. Sure, I deserve to do some time for what I did. I hurt a lot of people's life. My life, my family's life, my victims. I destroyed a lot of things, but I thought that the courts was unfair with it. So that grieved me. So then I made up my mind that I'm going to do everything I can to hurt these people. 
Meaning the system. The system, absolutely. And that's what I did, and I took off with it, and I ran with it for almost 17, 18 years. You know, me, I don't make no excuse. I'm not, you know, everyone knows the difference between right and wrong. You know it's wrong if you 15, if you 10, to pull a pistol on somebody and rob them, take their money. You know that's wrong. I mean, at that particular time, you may not care, but I don't make an excuse. I, like I said, I come from a good family, you know. I love my mother and father. I'm sorry I broke their hearts, but it's just a, a lifestyle you choose, and it's hard to back out of it. It's like a drug. Uh, it's like heroin. It's like, you know, when you get that type of money and you get around women and the cars and everything, it's hard to turn that loose. So I don't make excuse for it. It's not an excuse, you know. I, did, I knew it. At that particular time, I, I enjoyed it. You know, um, it was a passion. Like I say, I, I wish there's some way I could fix it. Yeah, I can't, you know what I mean? Only thing I do now is try to be the best man I can from now on. There's no, there's no way to change what I did. So right. you, you walked in and you were like, that's a long sentence and I'm going to make you guys hurt because yes. you just hurt me bad. Absolutely. So like, can you take, it, take these people that are listening to this, take them through that. What does that look like as far as being inside prison? What well, does that look like? When, I, when they first sent me to the max, automatically they sent you to the maximum security penitentiary. They sent me to Centennial back then. That was their super max. And prison is evil. There's no way around it. You may have good people in there, but you're in an evil environment. You know what I mean? So when you got there, the first thing back then, all the inmates did all the paperwork. They did your fingerprints. They know everything about you. So you can't come in there and say, I'm in here for this, I'm in here for that. So whatever you're in there for, you stand up for it because there's only one way out. You either go to population or you go to PC. And me, I felt like this here. If I had the gumption, the nerve, the energy to go out there and rob, rape, kill, whatever's floating the person's boat at that particular time, I'm not going to come into the penitentiary and fear another man. So that's where it started from. A lot of dudes do that. You know what I mean? I said, hey, look, if I'm out there doing it to them, I'm in here now, so I might as well make the best of it. You know what I'm saying? And I played the game. Tell us more about that. What do you mean you played the game? Can you start with the, the stores, the poker tables, the... The dope. I mean, whatever's going on, I figured that I was going to be the king of it. There's, nothing's coming in here that I don't know about. No one's going to do anything that I don't know about. And I just had that mindset. If I'm going to be here, I'm going to be in control of everything. And that's the type of mindset you have to decide because it wasn't uh, back then when I got locked up, it wasn't a lot of gangs. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you have to stand on your own. If you're going to fight, you got to fight by yourself. And, uh, that's the road I took. And what society don't understand, you might have a good person that come to prison that made a bad choice. And they, they really are a sincere person in their heart. But when you put them in that environment, they have to survive. True, dudes be raped, dudes be murdered, dudes get their stuff taken. And if you don't stand up for yourself, it's going to happen to you. And I had made up my mind that I'm not going to be the victim here. You know what I'm saying? My victim was left out there. I'm not going to be one in here. So you, you, you get that in your mindset, and you take off, and you never look back. You know, you do it until you can't do it anymore. You was by yourself. You know, you come in by yourself. You do your thing by yourself. You know, that's just the way it was. But if you're by yourself, how are you getting people to be scared of you and make sure everything's running through you, like the drugs? and that? Like, that takes a while. Did you work up to that, or did you just go right in? You know, it's like this here. Whoever's supposed to be the best. Me, my thing was I didn't pray on the weak. 
who who's the baddest dude in here? That's the one you go to. I mean, that's just the way it was. You know what I mean? You, if you cut him down, the rest of them fall in line. It's it's it's, it's simple to say. It's like taking it, down the alpha yeah, male. It's it, it's simple to say, but it's a fact. It, it it worked like that. You know what I mean? Hey, you're not bringing in nothing. You're not doing anything until you come through me. And it takes a lot of nerves and a lot of heart to do that. But it can be done. It has been done. You know what I mean? So, and when I got control of it, I intend to keep it. You know what I mean? So that's the way it was. Was that by many, any means necessary? Absolutely. I'd like to go back uh, to what you said about, you know, a turning point in your life being in Oakland. Right. So what is it? I mean, because clearly that shifted the way you thought and it and it helped mold it who you became. Mm-hmm. So what was it that? What what were the tools that molded you? Was it the glamour, the glitz, the money? What was it? I, you know, it was all of that. You know what I mean? The women, the cars. You know, when we basically moved there, uh, my dad, he's a simple man. You know, he's nonsense, but he's a simple man. You know, we had a lot of bicycles and stuff when we come from the country. So when we moved in this neighborhood, uh, we bought our bicycles out. You know, guys came up and beat us up, took our bicycles and everything. And we're not used to that. You know, we, me and my brother, we used to playing with chickens and horses and pigs and everything. And this was, this was different from us. And I'm looking at my little baby brother. He's crying. And I'm saying, wait, wait a minute. This, this is not how it's supposed to be. So we had to start standing up. I mean, my brother used to run home from school every day crying because he had to go the long way because guys want to beat him up and everything. So I had made up my mind, this is going to stop, you know what I mean? And uh, so I started hanging around the hustles and pimps and started asking them, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I make this stop? You know, and they tell you, they give you 22 or, hey, man, uh, take this drug here, do that there. And, and it gets good to you. It really does. No, you, anyone can sit here and lie, oh, I did it to support my family. Or, oh, I, no, you didn't. You did it because it, it was good. It was good to you. And, and that's just the truth. It gets good. You love the people love attention, you know what I mean? But it's the wrong type of attention. And that's what motivated me. I love the attention. And my mother always told me, good girls love bad boys. And that's a fact. You know what I mean? They get involved in it. They don't really know if they're getting involved in it too, but they really love a bad boy. You know what I mean? And that's that was my role that I played, the bad boy part. And you love it because not only would she come, she'd tell her girlfriend, and next thing you know, you got this girl, and you got that dude following you. And before you know it, you got a little clan of your own. And everybody's looking up to you because you're the guy. You know what I'm saying? And it's just... You know, the devil is very sneaky. You know what I'm saying? He would put all of that right there to you, and you think you're getting everything, but all you're doing is getting dead. So, and I did it to the fields until I got caught. And everyone is going to get caught. No matter what you think, sooner or later, you're going to get caught. We all do. Tell us about sort of those, in those early years and days, um, were you violent inside? You know what? I I had... I, I boxed out there. My dad, he sent me to school to box and everything. And I wouldn't say I was violent, but I didn't. I come from a, a family that we're not supposed to fear another man. I don't think no man should fear another man, period. You know what I mean? You do what you do. Uh, win, lose, or draw. And yes, in a sense, yes, maybe that is a hidden violence. But I just, I never had that back down in me. I just never had that, you know, drive to shy up or clam away and uh, 
I think it 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 ruined me in a long way, you know what I mean? Because sometimes we have to be humble. Sometimes you have to walk off. Sometimes you have to say no. But I didn't know how to do that then, you know what I mean? It was a learning process for me. Um, I met a guy in penitentiary. His name is Terry Akers. I don't really like to talk about. And this is one of the coolest white dudes I ever knew. But he was extremely violent. I mean, there's no words for what he would do, you know what I mean? Um, this guy... Uh, came out of the shower one day and uh, stabbed another dude to death right in the pot, you know what I mean? So you see that, you know what I'm saying? And when I got involved with this type of people, it really kind of shocked me to my core. I said, is this the type of people I really want to spend the rest of my life with? But like I said, again, it was too late. He was already my best friend, you know? So what do you do? I, I've learned that from him, and he was the type of dude... Uh, He'd give you anything in the world, but he had a button that you could push, and all hell would break loose. So, yes, you learned that, that hidden violence in you, you know. So I had to learn that the hard way. And Terry Akers, may he rest in peace, he died from a hepatitis C in prison, but I learned a lot from that man, you know what I mean? And uh, I hope that I would never, ever, ever in life react the way he would act in some situations, you know. Thank God that he touched me and changed me for that. But that's where that comes from. You see these things in prison. See, they got little shows on TV that show this here. You can't get the flavor until you're in here. I can sit here and eat ice cream and tell you how good it is, how all oh, it's creamy and sweet. But until I give you some of that ice cream, you'll never know. At Centennial, they used to let us box. They had gloves, and you could get the whole thing in, in gym, right? Um, so one day we was all going to the gym. This is when I was at my worst, you know what I mean? And I know that they was getting ready to kill this man. I knew this, you know what I mean? And um, anyway, um, he's got, he got on the bench press and started doing his thing, and the guys that came in, and they, they stabbed him to death, you know what I mean? And... Uh, I, I thought about this in myself because when you're out there around your friends and your partners and everything, everything is glamour. But when you get up in that cell by yourself, you really think about who you are and what you are. And I think that was kind of a little turning point for me to, to back off to see someone brutally stabbed to death like this year and, and not have a knowledge of it. So I, I was in a situation like that. I had a partner. That guy was my friend, but not my friend, but I had a partner, too. And uh, I was coming back from child, and the guys caught him in the unit, and they were stabbing him to death. Uh, so he was hollering and screaming. He asked me to throw him in the mop bucket. And uh, at that particular time, I panicked because there was so much blood. There was so much chaos going on there. Uh, something turned on in me that I didn't think was there I didn't you know what I mean it wasn't fear like you think of fear it's a you know what I mean can I save this dude and save myself you know so I rushed into it you know and all hell broke loose but uh, he survived and everything and I didn't really realize how cool and how vicious I was until it really got placed because now it's just the four of us you know two on two and, and that kind of it kind of scared me that I was that type of human being that I could actually take another man's life and not think nothing of it. That's a, that's a nasty thing to do, you know what I mean? So 
at that particular point, yes, I think that was my worst point. I think at that particular time, I really didn't care whether I lose or win. I just, I just react with it. How many times did you see somebody stabbed? Uh, throughout Centennial and CSP, probably 15, 16 times. Did you, how many did you participate in? Only two. I just was wondering, like, to, to witness stuff like that all the time, how that impacts you. Like, how do you go back to your cell and be like, what the hell am I in? Yes, you do. I'm, I don't know how to, you know. Sometimes talk, you can't put words yeah, to it. No, you have to, you have to experience. I mean, I remember one time, uh, me and this guy got into it really, really bad. And uh, so um, he's a big dude. I was scared to death. Not in the sense that he's a man, in the sense, how can I get this dude before this dude get me? And so anyway, uh, I'm in the cell and I'm getting everything ready. I'm putting on my books and my National Geographic because we make vests, you know, so, so we, I'm getting ready for everything. Wait, 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 hold on. You have to explain that for people. What do you mean? Well, when you, when you get into your little nice face back then, um, if you prepared for the guys getting National Geographic and they tape them around them with the sweatbands or whatever so you don't get hit in vital parts. So you take uh, magazines and you pad your body with them? Yes, like armor. Like like armor? Yeah. So National it, Geographic specifically? Yes, because they're the thickest and they were the toughest. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. Wow. But anyway, so uh, back then, uh, we made knives out of sugar. A lot of people don't know about that, but... That's the, probably the best weapon you could have back then. And, but they were a one-time thing. Yeah. So we made the knives out of sugar, whatever. And when you hit the person with the knife, it usually breaks off in them, and you can flush it in the dissolve. They have no weapon, and it dissolves in them. But like I said, this guy it was a big dude. You know what I'm saying? And he was just as vicious as I was. But anyway, by the grace of God, when the cell door opened, I'm putting everything on. And he's standing there because back then you could just wave a rag in front of your cell and they'll open it. Mm-hmm. So he came. He said, man, I don't, let's just forget about this here. And I'm telling you, that was the most beautiful moment of my life when this dude stood in front of my cell and said, hey, man, let's squash this here. Because I, I believe that he was terrified and I was terrified because we both know each other was you were willing to go there. Yeah. So, and um, so you're armoring up with National Geographic. You have your knife made out of sugar, and he comes to you and he says, "Hey, can we not do this?" Yes, absolutely. And I was just as happy as he was. And then what? Did, did you guys like talk about it, or did you just walk, turn around, and leave? Matter was fact, there was there a therapy session? Did what you happened? Have a hug? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Matter of fact, back then, we just, you avoided each other because as. Mr. Atkins was saying, you can't put two lions in the same cage. Sooner or later, one of them is going to die. Speaking about your friends, your partners in prison, people that you came across that you knew, um, how did you come across uh, Roy Atkins? Uh, Roy had got his time... I think in about 88, and uh, he was a youngster, you know, and back then, contrary to popular belief, it's not like it is now, uh, the blacks and the whites actually tried to take the young guys, make them get their GED, make them do the right thing. They tried to school them and help them, but now things are different, you know. 
I see some of the gang members, they take these dudes in and send them on missions and do what they want to do. They don't try to educate them or anything like that. And Roy was very intelligent. He's very smart. And I liked it. What I really liked about him, he stood up. He wouldn't, you know, you just couldn't make him do anything you wanted him to do. You know, he had a, a rebellion in him. And I liked that about him. So we, kind, I kind of took him in, me and Glenn, and, you know, made him get his GED, start doing things positive for a while until I started that BS again. And um, he followed behind me. That's how he got his stuff in, in all that trouble. But boy's not, um, let me say, he's not a, a vicious person as I was. He learned it through seeing what me and Glenn did, and, and he took hold to it, you know. But boy's, boy's a good person. He really is. He's my favorite. So first of all, where did you meet Otis? I met Otis in uh, in Centennial. He he man, Otis was was a little bitty short, swole up. I mean, he was swole. You could see every muscle on this dude's body, and he was wild as hell, man. This was the craziest dude in the whole penitentiary. I was on something different than what they was on. You know, I'm still trying to figure out my way, and these guys is really, you know, the main dudes in the pen. You know what I mean? Everybody knew who they were. I mean, if something was happening, nine times out of ten, they was behind it. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, football tickets, dope sack, you know what I mean? Whatever it was. Uh, uh, when I went to the penitentiary, them dudes uh, working in the print shop was printing money. Is it, guys, honest truth, you could check it out. They was printing money. And uh, <clears throat> them, you know, them guys were the guys fueling all that. You know what I mean? Whatever was, was shaking. They, you know, they were a part of it. You know, these, these is really the guys, but they, they took a liking to me, you know what I mean? They had asked me, you know, uh, you going to stay in here for the rest of your life because we going. <laughs> I said, hell no, I'm not going to stay in here the rest of my life. Y'all going, I'm going too. They say, uh, you know, you better be serious, man. I said, man, you, they said, nah, you know, they always be telling me, nah, you ain't serious. Your little ass ain't going. Man, I'm telling you, I'm with it, you know what I mean? So, uh. We end up, uh, Otis, man, <laughs> came up with a with a way to get get some pistols. It blew me away, too. Pistols? We in maximum security. In maximum security, at this time, you couldn't even have soda. They would give us a 16-ounce or 20-ounce paper cup of soda on New Year's. Wasn't no microwaves in the pod or nothing like that. You know what I mean? Uh. Pistols. We got pistols. My first attempted escape uh, was in a Denver County, now Rappahoe County. Uh, so they called me to court one morning, and I've uh, always been in good shape. Always worked out hard. You know what I mean? I, I've never really, really been a, a book person. You know, I, I can read and write. I can do. You know, I can get by, you know, if I wanted to. But uh, my main thing was to stay in physically good shape. So uh, <laughs> one morning they called me to go to court, and uh, I had made some handcuff keys and everything. And uh, so when they took me into the court, I had took the handcuffs and the keys off. So when they called me up from uh, my case, Colorado versus Otis Bell, or whatever they be saying, I didn't pay much attention to it. But anyway, I jumped up and ran out of the courtroom. 
So I was running down the street. That was my first time. They took Wait, me that to- was the moment you chose? It was like the moment where you're standing in front of... Yeah. That's like an intense moment. Yes. But... <laughs> You, no? When you want your freedom, nothing is intense. That's true. You know, when you want to be free, that's your real desire in your heart. Now, I'm not going to do this. You do whatever it has to be done. And no, I don't care what anyone says. It's, your mind don't think about chances. Your no. mind think about freedom. That's all it thinks about, you know, especially being young and you feel like you're invisible anyway. So, you know, and I just kept doing it over and over and over till they just got sick of it. You know what I mean? If I wasn't trying to break out of the jail, I was trying to snatch the police's gun. If I, you know, Whatever it was that could get me free, that's what I wanted to be about. So they finally said, okay, enough is enough. They took me to Maximum Security Centennial, locked me down. That was the super max. Um, like I say, again, good girls love bad boys. So, uh, some guys introduced me to some girls and, you know, <laughs> women or something else. They think they be in love with you because, you know, like I say, the fame you got to sell. I talked the girl into helping me and uh, helping me get guns in and stuff like that. And I smuggled them in and we did our little thing and we hid them for a while. And uh, we waited till the time was right and we took over the prison. I, to me, that was one of another scariest nights of my life, you know what I mean? Because if one thing I know about a plan, there ain't no plan. Right. Yeah. You can't plan anything. You know, we, no one knows what's going to happen the next second. And just as we thought we had everything mapped out, all hell broke loose. Join us next week for part two of Rory and Otis's story, where we learn about their attempted escape from prison, their combined almost 40 years in solitary confinement, and their journeys out of violence and into the men they are today. Otis, man, came up with a with a way to get, get some pistols. It blew me away, too. Pistols? We in maximum security. In maximum security, at this time, you couldn't even have soda. They would give us a... a 16-ounce or 20-ounce paper cup of soda on New Year's. Wasn't no microwaves in the pod or nothing like that. You know what I mean? Uh, pistols. We got pistols. When you want your freedom, nothing is intense. You know, when you want to be free, that's your real desire in your heart. Now, I'm not going to do this. You do whatever it has to be done. And no, I don't care what anyone says. It's, your mind don't think about chances. Your no. mind think about freedom. 1990 to 1999, I spent, I spent all the 90s in segregation. No human contact, no sunshine, you know, none of that you shit. You didn't see sunshine for nine years? Yes. I seen it out the window. The ones I wish I could really apologize to is the dead ones. You can't. It's done. You know what I mean? You can't bring them back. So, yes, I do spill responsible for a lot of man's life I ran in here, you know, and I hope that one day, you know, I don't want to die in this prison. I really don't. Uh, but if that's what it's going to be, I'm going to try to be the best person I can every day in here. One thing I understand about what I've done in my life and where I've been, I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. No empathy, no sympathy. I deserve nothing. I owe everything. 
we wanted to include more voices from incarcerated folks across the state of Colorado. So we started a newsletter. It's called Reverberations from Within. If you're interested in reading it or in sending pieces of writing into it, visit our website at thisiswithin.com. If you're incarcerated in the state of Colorado and you want to submit material to our newsletter, please speak to your programs manager in your facility. Within is a collaborative production between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Our hosts are Denise Presson, resident of Denver Women's Correctional Facility, Andrew Draper, resident of Sterling Correctional Facility, and executive producer and DUPI founder and director, Ashley Hamilton. Within is produced by Caroline Sheehan. Associate producers are Michael J. Clifton and Sarah Berry, both of whom are incarcerated. Mr. William S. Graham is our resident poet as well as a resident of the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Media production and creative support by Angel Lopez and Chuck Martinez, both of whom are residents of Sterling Correctional Facility. Our newspaper liaison is Terry Mosley Jr., who is also a resident of Sterling Correctional Facility. Sound engineering and editing by Jonathan Howard. Full episode details, resources, and additional content, including how to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter, Reverberations from Within, is located on our website at thisiswithin.com. Hey, let's go! Let's go.